You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Can I pray for us again? Would you bow with me? Father, we pray for your grace. We pray for your mercy. We pray that you would help now in a time of need. I pray, Lord, for myself, that God, as the word is spoken tonight, that, Lord, you would speak through a broken, helpless, sinful man. And I pray your grace and your mercy be rich upon him because he cannot do it apart from you. And I pray, God, for my friends in this room now that your grace and your mercy be upon them in their brokenness, in their weaknesses, in their frailty, that they would hear from you directly tonight but they cannot do it without your help. And so, Lord, we pray, please, before the throne of grace, that we would find help now in our time of need. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone, and a happy new year. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Thank you for your grace as we return again to Hebrews, but I'm excited, and I hope you are, about the new series that starts next weekend as our pastor returns, beginning in Luke and those parables that are unique to Luke. Excited for that. Hey, while you're turning to Hebrews 4, let me ask you this question. You ever been the champion at something before? Have you ever been crowned the champion? Maybe if you're like me, not so much. You know, they don't give awards for men who lose their hair when they're 25. They don't give awards for men who are unusually gifted at cleaning bathrooms. They don't give awards for the most tired dad. But if they did, for any of those, I would clean house. Maybe you're like me, you really haven't ever been a champ at something. But have you seen champions celebrating? That's fun to watch, right? Have you seen them cheered? Have you seen them raise up the trophy or the award or whatever it is? And there's a celebration of we won. We're the champs. We're victorious. Look at the scoreboard. It's undisputed. Who won? Have you seen that before? It's fun to watch, isn't it? That we won moment. Well, that's the tone of the book of Hebrews. As you guys already know, Hebrews really can be summarized in three words. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's the best. He's undisputed. He's won. He's victorious. Look at the scoreboard. Check it out. He's the champion. Now here's the great thing. When Jesus is the champion, things for us change a great deal as well. We get caught up in that victory. In fact, that's what we're going to look at tonight in our passage. We're going to see very clearly, I think, 
that a victorious life in Christ is only found through Christ. Let me say that again. A victorious life for Jesus only comes through Jesus. That's the tone of the text. He has won, and so we have won. It's a victory passage. We ready for a victory passage tonight? Amen, I hope so. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14, let me read the text. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One thing you need to know about this passage is it sits at the corner of an intersection. Uh, it, thus far in the book of Hebrews, we've walked up to and seen how Jesus is better in his person. In fact, that's what the first several chapters are about. Jesus is better in his person compared to the angels, chapter 1, compared to Moses, chapter 2. And now we're about to turn onto a road, and that road is Jesus being better in his ministry. Not only is he better in his person, he's better in his ministry. But the writer of Hebrews takes a moment right now at this point to stop at the stoplight to exhale and to savor in the betterness of Jesus. It's almost like we come to a now what moment in the passage. It's like the writer of Hebrews has written, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, and now we come to the red light, we're supposed to stop, we're supposed to pause, we're supposed to exhale, and then we say, now what? What now? Well, we're going to see there's a great what in this passage tonight. We're going to see there's great victory in this passage for us. In fact, these are champion words, victory words, and this is how we should live in the victory of Jesus Christ. But before we get to that, before we break it down and see more clearly what these victory words mean for us, let me ask you again, do you feel like a champion tonight? Do you feel like a champion, honestly, living the Christian life? You feel like you got it together? You feel like it got it under control. You feel like you're winning the battles. You feel like you're a champion day after day. Do you feel like you can step out of bed every morning and say, yes, I got this one, I got this one? Or are you like me? Where you say things like, not so much. No, I don't really know if I've got this day. I feel so defeated. I feel so discouraged. I feel so wearied. I feel so lost. If I'm honest with you tonight, Craig, I'm sensing anything but victory. Maybe you don't feel like a champ tonight. But maybe you want to. Maybe you want that so bad. Maybe you want that in your Christian life, to live a life in victory over sin, in hope towards the eternal resurrection, in hope of glory, in a delight in what your Savior has done. Maybe you want that tonight, and I hope you do. Well, the great news for all of us is this passage has the keys to what a victorious life looks like. Remember again that a victorious life for Jesus only comes through Jesus. A victorious life for Christ only comes through Christ. You want that victory? 
You get it through Jesus. How do we live in this victory? Hebrews has for us three essentials. Let me break the passage down for us. The first point, what's the first essential we need to do is this. I must hold fast to Jesus. You want victory? Then you hold fast to the victor. You want to live a championship life, then you hold to the champ. Hold fast to Jesus. Now, there's a ton in the passage that we're going to look at, but I want you to look up a couple verses. Look up at verse 12 and see how the momentum is being built. He's talking about the Word of God and how the Word of God can expose and show us for who we really are, right to the center of the joints and the marrows and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How important is the Word of God to expose us, to show us who we really are, to show that we We are guilty. And now verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight. That's God's sight. And all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There's a judgment. There's a warning. God sees, the writer of Hebrews says, God sees right into the very center of who you are. You cannot pull the wool over his eyes. You cannot blow sunshine at Jesus. He knows exactly who you are in your greatest moments And in your worst moments, he knows who you are. And the sense of judgment and the sense of we must give an account rolls us right into the sweet verse 14. Look at the passage. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You see, what's happened here is the writer of Hebrews has moved from great conviction now over to massive hope. He's moved from a judgment scene now to a priestly scene, a priestly scene where he intercedes for us on our behalf between God and man. He moves from judgment to freedom, from judge to high priest. In fact, the text tells us he's a great high priest. A great high priest. Now what you need to know is that role of great high priest didn't exist. Jesus is the first one in it. In fact, what the writer is doing is he's pairing up superlatives. What does that mean? That sounds like fancy talk, Craig. Let me explain. If I gave you, and I realize, by the way, I'm about to give an illustration about chocolate. I realize I do this a lot. It's a problem. What doesn't help me, loved ones, is more chocolate, okay? You're generous people. Please don't do this, okay? Just love on my kids and love on my wife and don't bring me anything like this, okay? But let's say I gave you a Hershey bar, okay? I gave you a Hershey bar. You'd open up the Hershey wrapper that you probably spent 50 cents on. You'd pop a square in your mouth and you'd say, yeah, that's good. And then I pulled out from under the counter the lint bar. And I held it out to you. And even the package made you go, ooh. And then you opened it up. And you just placed a small piece on it. On your, sorry, I'm losing track. You, you took the chocolate and put it in your mouth and you tasted it. You know what you, you would say? You'd say, good. But you know what else you'd say? This is really good. This is really, really good. This is double plus astoundingly, jaw-droppingly good chocolate compared to the Hershey bar. That's pairing superlatives together. And when, so, so when the writer of Hebrews says he's a great high priest, what he's really saying, what he's literally saying is he's a mega high priest. That word for great is mega. He's the mega high priest. He's the greatest. He's perfect. He's awesome. Who is he? 
Well, there's no suspense here. Still in verse 14, he's Jesus, the Son of God. And now notice, we're to hold fast to our confession. Now that word there for hold fast literally means to grip something with a death grip. To grip it like you mean it. You hold your wife's hand gently in the movie theater. You grip your child's hand when you cross the busy streets. Holding fast the confession. Now, what does that word confession mean? Now, when I think of confession, maybe, maybe it's just me. When I think of confession, I think of, you know, I come and I tell you my sins. That's confession, right? Well, that's not the biblical sense of confession. Confession means that you're saying the same. In fact, it's a compound word, two words jammed together, and it literally means say the same. So when you're confessing sins, you're saying the same about your sin as God's saying. You know, my sin of, uh, of, of struggles with lies is wrong, and I'm saying the same with God in that, that it's wrong. So confession is you're saying the same. What, what confession are you holding fast to in the passage here in verse 14? You're confessing, you're saying the same, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what you're holding fast to. That's what you're gripping like you mean it. Through the ups and the downs of life, you're holding with a death grip onto the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And why are you holding on to this? Why do you hold fast to that truth? Well, we're to hold it. We're to seize it. We're seizing this truth of Jesus as the mega high priest. The text gives us three reasons, still under point one, and these are gospel-loaded reasons. You want victory in your life, in Jesus Christ, this year, 2015, to see your greatest growth ever, then these have got to be priorities for you. You got to hold fast to Jesus. Why do you hold fast to Jesus? Because, firstly, he has passed through the heavens. He's passed through, the text says. He's passed through, in fact, two times. The first time when he came to us in a manger. And we just finished a season of celebrating and remembering the birth of Christ, his incarnation, this time of year. We remember this. We love this truth that he has come. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, it's way more than a silent night and a little child in a manger. The truth of his passing through the heavens the first time was his coming for us. His grace, his gracious love for us as he comes and rescues us. This is the story of God incarnate who becomes flesh. God who willingly clothes himself with humanity to walk as we walk, to suffer as we suffer, and then willingly, obediently takes upon himself the sins of the world, walks obediently and willingly to the cross and pays their punishment fully and finally and completely. And that's what's so sweet about Christmas is we look at the manger and we say, this is just the beginning of the salvation of Jesus Christ. We cling to that truth. It's about a God who looked upon his people and refused to allow us to perish, but took into his own hands the punishment that we deserve and bore them upon a cross. How easy, how easy, how easy it would have been for Jesus, the mega high priest, to do nothing. He could have done nothing. He could have sat in heaven. Humanity had rejected him. Humanity had abandoned God since the first moment in the garden. His own creation had turned away from him and then declared themselves to be God in his place. How easy it could have been for him to say. But he passed through the heavens 
to us. He interceded for us. He came for me. He came for Craig. He came for you. And, and he passed through the heavens again a second time to return victorious, the conqueror, having canceled the record of debt and now sitting, seated at the right hand of God, the king on the throne in state. He came for me. Jesus, the mega high priest, has passed through humbly as a man, dying for us, our creator, taking our sin upon his shoulders. He died for us. And then, and then, and then to raise to life victorious. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over Satan, victory, victory, victory. The champ is here. The champ is here. Now the priest has made this perfect sacrifice if no goat or bull could accomplish this. The perfect sacrifice was Jesus, the Son of God, in his own life. And we've just finished this series on this truth. That Jesus' perfect sacrifice has satisfied God once and forever. He is done. He is finished. And now he's seated victorious on his throne. He passed through the heavens. He came for me. He came for you. He came for us. Now here, here I love this truth because here's where Christianity stands alone. Here among all the world's religions is where Christianity stands alone. Because false religions will tell you, false religions will tell you what the problem is, and it may even tell you what the fix of the problem is. But no other faith, listen, no other faith has a God who walks down and solves the problem with his own hands, with the nails in his own hands. No other God suffers the wrath of God and man. Only Jesus, only Jesus, and he came for you. That's why he's the mega high priest. That's why he's the great one. That's why he's the double plus awesome high priest. We're to cling to him. This high priest has come for me. Listen, loved ones, this year, 2015, may this be the year that you remember and hold and love in your hearts more than you ever have the truth that Jesus came for you, that he came and gave his life that you might have life in Christ. This year, may this year be your year of loving that truth. Well, you're to hold fast. Hold fast because you passed through the heavens. But here's another reason to hold fast. You're supposed to hold fast because... Secondly, verse 15, he understands my weaknesses. He understands my weaknesses. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yes, he came. Yes, he conquered sin. But what's more, he understands how hard this life is. Now, the context of this passage is sin. He knows temptation. In fact, he knows it like nobody else knows it. Jesus faced temptation like you wouldn't believe. He sympathizes with your struggles today, even tonight, as you sit there. In your struggles with your temptation, he sympathizes with you. I love that word sympathize. In the Greek, it means to suffer alongside it means to come alongside and suffer with. Charles Parker said this. He said, sympathy is two hearts tugging at one load. Do you hear the word of God as it speaks to you? You worship a God who understands the temptations you face. He understands the temptations of anxiety, of pride, of lust, of self-centered discouragement, 
of thanklessness, of self-pity, of greed. He knows the temptations you face. He knows what it's like to see one's suffer and to die. He knows what it's like to face hurt. He knows. He knows what it's like to face pain. He knows the loss. He knows the tears. He knows loneliness. Jesus knows. He knows. And understand this. Because of sin, our God knows more than anyone else the consequences of sin. His creation is marred. His creatures are separated from him. His holiness is spat upon. His son is crucified. He knows what sin can do. And here again is where Christianity stands alone. Here again is where our faith, the understanding that we have in the gospel, stands us alone from anyone else. False religions will tell you what the problems are. In fact, many false gods will call out orders from their palaces, but only our God, only Jesus Christ, walked into the trenches of the war and took the pain and the suffering and the loss for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now, now, now look at the last part of verse 15. Yet without sin. We're to hold fast to Jesus because he's passed through. We're to hold fast to Jesus because he understands our weaknesses. And now thirdly, and still under point one, we're to hold fast to Jesus because he's perfect. Yes, he was tempted, but no, he never sinned. You may say to me, well, that's not real temptation then. If he doesn't know what it's like to fall, he doesn't really know what it's like to suffer like this. That's not real temptation. Well, C.S. Lewis said this helpful truth. Only those who try and resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of any army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. And now this last quote, Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only one who knows fully what temptation means. The only complete realist. Think of it this way, 600 pounds, 600 pounds will put you close to the world record for bench press. There's only a few people in the world who can do that. But only those few people actually understand what it feels like to carry 600 pounds on their chest as they stretch their arms forward. Only that small group understand that full weight. Listen, listen. Only Jesus knows what it's like to fully bear the temptation of sin. And so when we say that Jesus can understand and sympathize with you in your weaknesses and in your struggles and in your temptation, we mean it. The text means it. He took the temptation fully and completely. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it feels like in the dark moments when the, when the discouragement comes in, when the weaknesses come back, when the thoughts return to your mind. He knows what it's like to face and defeat that temptation. Hey, question, question. Do you feel like a champ tonight? Do you feel victorious today? Listen, listen. You don't have to feel like a champion. You don't ever have to feel like a champion. 
Because Jesus is. You cling to him. You cling to him. You hold fast to Jesus Christ, your champion. But I think so many of us aren't doing this. I know my own life, I hold fast to other things. Listen, the text speaks clearly to us tonight. If you want to live victoriously in this life for Jesus Christ, then you cannot do it alone. You have no power in yourself. You will falter, you will fail, you will fall again into temptation. A victorious life for Jesus only comes through Jesus. you got to hold fast to him. You want the victory? Then hold fast to the victor. You stay with the champion. You stay with the one who has passed through the heavens. You stay with the one who pulls with you in the load of your sin. You stay with the one whose perfection can carry you day after day and hour after hour. Don't hold fast to the other things of the world that lie to you and say that you can hold fast to them and be safe. Don't hold fast to things like money. Don't hold fast to things like yourself and your own accomplishments. Those things will falter. Those things will fail. You hold fast to the one who is conquered. You find victory through the champion alone. You find victory in this life only through Jesus Christ. Listen, listen. If you're not holding fast to Jesus, though, you're holding fast to something else. That's a guarantee. We need to be holding fast to him who passed through the heavens for us. Who knows what it's like to be tempted with the temptations we face. We need to hold fast to the one who knows perfectly how to resist. Listen, if you want to live that kind of victory this year, it's as simple as clinging to Jesus, the mega high priest. Hold fast to him. But there's a second essential ingredient in living this victorious life. It's not enough to just hold on to Jesus. We've got to draw near to him as well. And this is our second point. I must draw near to Jesus. Verse 16 begins this way. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's not enough to hold on to him. We've got to draw near to him. There's a shift in the language. Did you see this? There's a shift from the priestly court now, now to the throne room of grace. Because the sacrifice has been made by the mega high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, we can now walk confidently into the throne room. Now that word for confidently there means boldness. It means openly. It means plainly. It means with courage. It means with everything you got, you fly into the throne room. Now in our, in our Western democratic society, we've kind of lost the, 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 the sense of a, of a total and utter and complete monarch. Even the British monarchy doesn't function like this anymore. But we've lost that understanding of there being one complete totalitarian power over everyone. We've lost that sense of the, the monarch. We've lost the sense of there being one supreme power. Now what the writer of Hebrews is bringing us to, the writer of Hebrews is bringing us into a throne room like this, but this is not an, any ordinary king. This isn't just a king of the world, a, a king of a nation. This is the king of the universe. This is the king who set the stars in motion. This is the king who calls them out by name. This is the king who formed you in your mother's womb. This is the king who right now holds your structure together. 
This is the king who gives you life and who gives you breath and who causes your heart to beat right now. This is the king of all kings. This is the glorious king, the all-powerful Jesus, the throne room of God we are walking into. And we are called to walk confidently into this throne room. This is what God is calling us to do, to go in with everything we've got. That is astounding to me. You're invited to run, to fly into the throne room where God is seated. You're you're called to go in. That is so incredible to me. How can you just do that? How can you walk in? You wouldn't knock on the door and walk into your boss's office uninterrupted. You wouldn't march down to Ottawa and walk up to the prime minister's office and walk in and say, hey, listen, I've got some things I want to talk about. You wouldn't do that with anyone. But you know who can do that? Let's picture it for a moment. Let's picture that you are someone very, very important, okay? This is, this is good. Pretend along with me. You're someone very, very important. And you have a very, very important meeting going on in your office. And you're sitting at your office. And all of a sudden you hear a knock on the door and you look over quickly to the left and you see your door and you have told your receptionist that there is to be no interruptions. No interruptions, period. But you look at the door and there's a knock with a little hand. A little tiny hand. And the door opens up and there is the little child. Maybe your grandchild maybe your own child, and they see your face, and you see their face, and do you know what you don't say? I'll tell you what you don't say. I have a very important meeting right now. I can't talk to you. No, do you know what you say? You're like a good parent. You say, come here. Come to me. Sorry, this will have to wait. One second, Bill. This, she... He is more important. This is my child. Do you know who gets to interrupt? Do you know who gets to walk into throne rooms without any interruptions? Do you know who gets to walk into the throne room of the living God? Children of God. You are being called to run, to fly to the God of all creation. He invites you to come into the throne room of grace. This is what God wants from you this year. This is what God loves from his children. Come, come to the throne. Come to me. There is no more obstructions. My son has paid for sin and death. There is a free channel you can come to me. We must draw near. We must draw near. In fact, that word for draw near, it's neat. It it means continually keep drawing near. All the time drawing near. All the time. Why do we need to be reminded that we need to be drawing near all the time? It's because we walk away, don't we? We wander out, don't we, sometimes? But 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 the truth of the Christian life is we need to be drawing near all the time. A.W. Tozer said this helpful quote in his, in his book, The Pursuit of God. He said this, To have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Now, normal people don't talk like that, so hang with me for a second. We don't normally throw out the word paradox. But what does this mean? I'll give you an illustration. You love golf. 
You played a game of golf. You pursue excellence in golf. You like to read magazines on golf, much to the rest of us, our confusion. But you, you pursue it. You pursue that which you love. You married, you're in a married relationship. You pursue your spouse with great love. With your children, you pursue them. Here's the truth. When you love something, you pursue it even more. And that's the truth for God as well. To have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Question, how about you? Do you feel victorious today? Do you feel like a champion? Could it be that you do not feel this way because you have not been before the throne? Could it be that you've not run to him? Could it be that you haven't drawn near to Jesus? Listen, Listen, here's the truth. If you're not holding fast to Jesus, you're holding fast to something else. And if you're not drawing near to Jesus, you're drawing near to something else. Could it be that your discouraged and defeated life right now is directly related to your lack of community and communion with your God? Could it be that your prayer life is gone and so now you feel like you're discouraged and defeated and lost in the weeds? You know, there's a, there's a neat little story told <clears throat> It, when Africa first became, again, Christianized, uh, of, of, of in tribal communities, there would often be high plains, high grasses in these, in these plain areas. And, and some of these communities that came to Christ, some of them whole tribes at a time, uh, there would be a practice among the tribal leaders where they would walk away from the tribe with a copy of God's word in their hand. They would find a quiet resting place, and then they would sit themselves down. And over time, and as days and, and, and multiple times in the days would pass, there, would, there began to be a pathway that would lead off to your little prayer patch, which was sheltered by the grass. And you know what those, those tribesmen used to say? If, there, if, there would, if, there, if they noticed a decline in prayer with one of the brothers, they would say kindly to them, brother, the grass grows on your path. The grass grows on your path. Could that be true of you tonight? Could it be true that the grass has grown on your path? That you haven't, with confidence, drawn near to the throne of grace? Could it be that you've seen some weeds entangle your prayers? How long has it been for you? You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 16 again, let us, withdraw, let us with confidence draw near the throne of grace. And why is this? That we might find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why is this? Why? Because we get help from Jesus. And this is our last essential ingredient in living victoriously for Jesus Christ. You want to live this year in victory for Christ. You hold fast to Christ. You draw near to Christ. And now here's our third point. I must get help from Jesus. I must get help from Jesus. The text says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the promise right here for us in Christ. We find grace. We get the gift of, of God, the mercy of God that we do not deserve, and the mercy, the withholding of the judgment that we deserve, the grace and the mercy needed in the time that we need. And as we draw near, both of those helps are made available to us. 
Now, the neat thing about one of these words, we, we, we're given help, it says. We find grace and mercy to help. That word help is a neat word. It pops up only in one other place in the New Testament. It's in Acts 27, 17. And it's in that moment, it's, it's, when, it's when Paul and the crew are leaving in a boat. And they recognize that a storm is coming. A storm is on the horizon. And so what they do is they strip the boat down to the bare essentials. And then what they do is they reinforce. In fact, the text says, undergird the boat. They put beams into the superstructure and beef the boat up so that it can go into the storm. That's the same word, that, that word for undergird, that's the same word that's used right here for help. That you might find help in time of need. That's what you need, that's what we need. When we go before the throne of grace, we find that grace and that mercy, and we are undergirded for the storms that will come. Let me ask you this. Do you know all the good days that are coming to you in 2015? You don't. Do you know all the hard days that are coming to you in 2015? Well, you don't. But I do know this, that God wants to right now, even tonight, undergird you for those storms that may be coming. Those moments when you need this, you need this strength undergirding you. Now listen, I'm not a handy guy. Uh, I don't know if you, that shocks anyone. Um, but I have handy friends in my life. You know, the kind of guys that you shake their hands and you're, wow, that's a strong, scratchy hand. And I go back and reapply lotion because it's, you know, <laughs> got to watch my hands. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't really do a lot of repairs around the house, but I have noticed a, a common occurrence in men when they do repairs. They, will, they come over, they put their tool belts, they get their tool belts on, they're all, you know, I, anyways, they're, they're working on the house, and then they, they get something in place, they maybe hammer it in place, or they, they screw it in place, it's there, it's up, and then they take it, this is the, this is the phenomenon that occurs, they take it with their, one of their hands, and then they shake it a bit, and then they say this phrase, there. That's not going anywhere. Right? Am I right? There. That's not going anywhere. Loved ones, this is what the Lord wants for you. He wants to slam in you the undergirding, the help. As you meet with him before the throne of grace, he wants to pour into you the strength that you will need for the days ahead. Some of them difficult, some of them hard. Some of them very painful. He wants to pour that grace in you and say the same thing. There, that strength, that faith isn't going anywhere. Loved ones, this is what the Lord wants from you. The truth is, if you're not holding fast to Jesus, you're holding fast to something else. If you're not drawn near to Jesus, you're drawn near to something else. And if you're not finding your help in Jesus, you're finding no help at all. No help for the storms of this life. How about you tonight? Do you feel victorious you feel like a champion? When was your last visit to the throne of grace? When was the last time you called out for grace for your trial? Not just to solve the trial, but to walk you through, to endure the trial. When was the last time you called out for mercy? Mercy to pardon your sins, to purify your souls. Listen, listen. Only through Jesus can you live in this victory. And the good news, the good news is tonight in Christ, there is grace and there is mercy for you tonight. Stop doing it yourself. 
Stop doing it alone. Today, his hands, the Savior's hands, are, called, are, are extended out to you like a kind father who calls you to come. His nail-pierced hands who suffered the wrath of God and the wrath of men against sin, who suffered for your sake, who loves you so extremely, has his hands out to you and says, Come, come to me. Come to me that you might find grace and mercy. Stop trying to do this yourself. Run from the false safeties. Run from your lying distractions. Flee from the things that have hurt you and run to me. Run to Jesus. Only Jesus can give you help this year. Only Jesus, only Jesus can give you victory. He has given his life for you. Wouldn't he help you today with your struggles? You know, I tell you this week, just this week, I have relearned this lesson. In the middle of the night, when my mind awakes and is tempted with the barrage of temptation, and I lie awake struggling in myself to solve the problem, I'll think about something else. I'll distract my mind. I'll try and bear down. Maybe I'll entertain the thought. But just this week, learning again, the cry out to the Lord for help. Loved ones, I tell you the truth, there is grace and there is mercy. There is grace and there is mercy for you in his arms tonight, for you, and the strength to go on. Listen, we're in a season of resolutions as we make these plans for this new year, but let me tell you this very frankly, if your resolution doesn't end with dot, 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 and to fall into the arms of my Savior, Jesus Christ, then that resolution is no good. You could plan all you want to be physically active. You could plan all you want to read your Bible. You could plan all you want to be a better person. But if it doesn't end with dot, 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 and to fall in the arms and find grace and mercy with my Savior, Jesus Christ, then you will not find the help you need this year. There is no other way to live this life except through the grace and mercy of Christ. We hold fast to him alone, him who passed through the heavens for you. Him who sympathizes with your struggles. Him who resisted perfectly. We draw near to him. And we do it again and again and again. And we find our help from him in the grace and the mercy we need so badly. Let me say this again. The victorious life can only be found through the power that comes through Jesus. Or let me say this again as Jesus himself said it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. May that be our heart this year. close our time together, we're going to do two things. We're going to first remember the Lord and his work for us. We're going to remember his death upon a cross that secures for us this victory, not in ourselves, but in him. And we're going to do it in the way that he has asked us to, which is to gather as a group and to take symbols that represent his body and his blood and remember those and not only remember, but also declare his death until the day he comes. We're going to do that in just a moment. And I would encourage you, if you are not in Christ, that these elements are not for you. You take a moment for yourself and you ask the question, who is Jesus? But if you are in Christ, I would encourage you as the elements pass you by to take that moment to hold the elements in your hand and again to plead and to come before the throne. Maybe for you it's forgiveness. Maybe for you it's something that has not been confessed before the Lord and you need that forgiveness tonight. Maybe for you it's committing this new year to him and securing the grace that you need. Well, 
The second thing we're going to do as we close our service tonight is we're going to sing a great hymn of the church. It was written in, in the 1860s. It was written by uh, a lady by the name of Charity Bancroft. And we're going to sing this. If you're in your seat, you can sing this as a prayer to him. Our worship team will sing over you in the first two stanzas, and then we'll stand in a moment and sing the third together. The song is called Before the Throne. And the words are like this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. The security found in Jesus Christ. The second stanza will also sing. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of an end, an end, an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And then the third verse, Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace, one in himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. We'll sing that in a moment. But before we do, I'll ask the service to come forward and let me commit this next moment to him now. So God, I pray that you would give a fresh heart and a fresh perspective now to what we are about to do. I pray that you would deliver us from routine, please. Please, God, would this not just be routine? Please, Lord. But would there be real meaning in the hearts of all of us here? Would we remember and savor again the grace of Lord Jesus Christ? Would we run to him? Would we cling to him? And would we worship him again? Pray that you would be moving even now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.